0: The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Good morning. morning. Welcome again to the tabernacle. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love our little dramatic intro because we're in a dramatic part of the book of Romans. We've been going through uh, that book and, uh, you know, for the next three or four weeks, it's pretty dramatic, but But that intro music will change, just so you know, we're trying to set the tones, trying to set the vibes, we can all learn as much as we possibly can. But before we get to that, I got to tell you something else that was really dramatic and I'm super excited about, is uh, this past Thursday, uh, we kicked off uh, uh, our season of Fight Club, which is that study for men ages 18 and over, all men are invited, and we had over 65 men show up for the first Fight Club, which was pretty cool, it was way cool. Now... Now, if you're a man and you weren't there, it doesn't mean you're not a man. It just means you had something else to do, all right? Probably really important. Um, But uh, I just wanted to say this, that that you're all still invited. And just so I can be clear, all the men are invited, that is, 18 and over, is that... um, uh fight, fight Club's not one of those things that if you miss the first couple weeks, well, you've missed it and you're going to have to wait to next year. Because I know what some of you do, you use it as an excuse and you use it with your wives and with yourself, right? You're welcome at any time, drop in, hang out, try it one Thursday, you hate it, don't come back, that's fine. But um, we do, um, or we are grateful for, for those that are able to participate and want to, and it's an awesome opportunity to really make this church your church, and more importantly, uh, to grow in your faith. So just wanted to put that out there and say that, yeah, that was a win for us and that you're still invited. We're in Romans chapter one today, and it's a very difficult passage. And, and um, so I'm going to ask for your help just a little bit in that uh, I want us to listen carefully and I want us to listen to what God is saying. And, and I don't want us to get bogged down too much in uh, our own personal bias, or even some of our own personal feelings, because at the end of the day, although your feelings are important, the truth about God is more important, okay? Our feelings are important, but they can be skewed by culture, and they can be skewed by other people's opinions, and ultimately, we want to please God at our church. So we're going to do our best to say what God is saying through the scripture, and we're going to listen to him and trust that the Holy Spirit will sort that out. I want to start uh, right now just with an image. It's an iconic image. If you're as old as me, you remember, or you may remember a movie uh, called The Matrix. In 1999, the movie The Matrix came out, and it's kind of a sci-fi type, I guess, fantasy movie. I don't know exactly how to categorize it, Uh, but it was a great allegory for life, and in particular, in my opinion, the gospel, and you don't have to have known anything about the movie for me to share this one part with you, is there was a part where one of the stars, a guy named Morpheus, he's speaking to the star, to Neo, he's the, he's what the Matrix, you know, he's the one that this is all about, in fact, he's called the one, and uh, Neo was given this choice right at the beginning of the first Matrix movie in the trilogy and Morpheus held out his hands and he says choose one of these two pills Basically choose one and you can go back to life as you once knew it living kind of in this existence Where there's nothing else rather than the false reality that you're looking at be comfortable take this one or Take this pill and your eyes are going to be opened and you'll see how far the rabbit hole goes That's a paraphrase. Now, I believe that each and every human being is presented with a similar choice. This is the choice. Take this pill. Take this pill and believe that everything you see is all there there is. That we're a huge cosmic accident. That there was a big explosion. That there's nothing else. Right? Maybe you get 60, 80, if you're lucky, 100 years. On this planet, he who dies with the most toys wins. Enjoy everything you can while you can because life is short, so you better enjoy yourself. You can live that way, or you can choose to believe that there's something greater, that there's something bigger than us, that there's something or someone that put all of this into existence, that there's a design, and if there's a design, there must be a designer. That it's not just an accident, it's creation. And if there's a creation, there must be a creator. You have a choice. Every single one of us have a choice. To believe that there's a God or to believe that there is no God. To believe that there's a purpose and a design and a law and I can have a relationship with him or believe that, no, you know, we've just evolved as little creatures of mush that evolved out of the mire. There's consequences to both those choices. You got to understand that. If you choose to live as if there's a God, there is a certain way that you will live. If you choose to live as if there is no God, there are consequences to that action. And I'll be the first in line to say that if you choose to believe that there is no creator, that there is no God, that there's nothing more than us, I have no good reason to hold you to any standard that you don't choose for yourself. If you follow both of those worldviews to their logical conclusions... They have radically different consequences. If there is no God, I have no good reason for you to obey the laws of this land, other than don't get caught. If there is no God, I've got no good reason for you to stay faithful to your children and to your spouse. If you can get away with it, why not? If there is no God, I've got no good reason for you to be a hater, a racist, a greedy person, to do whatever you want. If there is no God, who cares? There's no ultimate authority. So each one of us become a God unto ourselves. That is the consequence of that pill. But if there is a God, then there's a law, and there's a lawgiver, and there's a standard And there's someone that I must answer to. That's the difference. So when we look at the second half of Romans, which we're going to look at, or Romans chapter one, which we're looking at today, what we see is God begins to outline for us in Paul's letter, the consequences of believing that there is no God. If we abandon God, if we forsake God, if we walk away from God, as we talked about last week, God is angered by that. He's offended by that. And there are consequences for walking away from God, and that's where we pick up the story in verse 24 of Romans chapter 1. Some of the most frightening words you can read in Scripture. So God abandoned them. So God abandoned them. Have you ever used that term, God forsaken? I have, when I first moved to northern Michigan. <laughs> Not me, I, I just felt like I was moving to the God forsaken wilderness, right? And this God forsaken town, and these God forsaken people, and what is happening to my life, you know, as God is, you know, taking me and making me into a better person, Right? God forsaken, it's right here. So God abandoned them. They abandoned God, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created Instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice required that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That's why the dramatic music. For all of those sins, we deserve death. For all of those sins. And you might say, wow, that was a pretty extreme list. There were some really, really bad sins, and there were some sins that, come on, let's be honest, we all do. The fact that everyone does the sin doesn't make it okay. The fact that some repulse us more than others doesn't make it okay. Catch the concluding statement. Because of all these things, we deserve to die. We deserve to die. Now, I want to speak directly to the elephant in the room. There's some of us that want to take chapter 1 and use this as a big club to bash people over the head that are struggling with homosexual temptation and homosexual sin. And yes, it speaks of that explicitly, but don't miss the context. It was using that as a for instance of how sin progresses. There was a lot of other sins in there too. So let me just say right now if you're a person here today and you are struggling with this lifestyle or you're struggling with this temptation or if you're wondering, Am I born this way? I just want to say, first of all, that we were all born this way. There's a way that we're all born. And some of us were born in a way that we're struggling with sexual sin of all kinds. And some people in this room are struggling with sins of the mouth of all kinds. And some of us are struggling with hatred and racism and they're born that way or raised that way. Just because we're born away or raised away, it doesn't mean we have to stay that way. Let me say number two, because particularly you can read this verse and say, well, I'm not welcome at that church. I wanna say, on record, on vodcast, and on podcast, if you are struggling with homosexual temptation or sin, you are welcome in our church. Amen. You are welcome in this place. Because you know why? Adulterers are also welcome here. And haters are welcome here. And racists, and gossips, and backstabbers, and children that disobey their parents, and murderers, and liars, and gluttons, and thieves. Only sinners are welcome here. Amen. Yeah. Now let me be clear. Your sin isn't welcome here. None of our sin is welcome with God. My sin's not welcome with God. And your sin's not welcome with God. And that's a problem. That's the problem of mankind is we all struggle with sin. So let's not get bogged down in the fact that it's speaking particularly as an example of the sin of homosexuality. There's a third thing I want to say about this. While it's still legal in the United States, I want to also say that homosexual sin is sin before God. Whether it's a woman with a woman or a man with a man. Yes, it's sin. God didn't change his mind. But then again, so is adultery. So is the sin of how many men or women in this room have been looking at porn just in the last 24 hours. That's sin too. And it's just as much of sin. Or the person that's in this room that's gossiping on Facebook. The person in this room that is a backstabber and everyone knows it. The person in this room that's a hater or a prideful person or a greedy person. All of those sins are worthy of death. In this instance though, what Paul's talking about is there's a progression to our sin. There's a progression. You see, sex is a good thing. I know from first-hand experience. I'm varsity. I didn't know if you knew that. I'd like to be on the all-conference team if I could make it, right? <laughs> Sexual sin, hey, it's, it's okay. It's biblical. Can we just praise God? I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, thank you, right? Okay. But in the biblical sense, sex is intended between one man and one woman in covenant marriage. What we do is we invent every type of sexual sin that we can invent outside of that. And every type of sexual activity outside of covenant marriage between one man and one woman, all of that is sin and is deserving of death. Premarital sex, fantasy sex with porn or images or whatever, right? Uh, 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 Homosexual sex. And, and here's the problem, is as we see the progression, if, if we've traded God away and we, do, we don't believe in God, we're taking that other pill, what happens is that there's a progression to things. And I'll tell you where it's going. I'll tell you where it's going. It starts with, uh, uh, or it started generations ago when sex outside of marriage became more and more accepted. And then it became... Uh, sex outside of God's intention so I can choose my own gender. Now that's accepted. I'll tell you where it's going next. Where it's going next will be sex with children. Watch. It's coming. It'll come in our lifetime. They will remove that restriction. So what if I want to have sex with a child? What's that to you? It feels good to me. There is no God. There is no judge. Why should we judge these people? They were born that way. And even some homosexuals would say, oh, no, 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 no. That's too far. Is it? Is it? We've seen where it's gone. And after we remove the age restriction, what's next? We'll be with animals. That's not hurting anybody. PETA might have a problem with it. This is what happens. Here's the progression that we see in this passage. Number one, we trade God. That happens first. When we forsake God, God forsakes us to be god forsaken it starts with us we trade god it says we trade the truth for a lie and the lie oh the lie is so profound it's so good it comes through media it comes through culture it comes through your favorite shows there's hardly a popular show anymore that doesn't glorify some type of sin it's okay we all do it And you might say, well, that's what you just said about our church. No, I'm looking for the solution. There's a difference. We trade God. We trade the truth about God for a lie. We trade the truth about God for a lie. We trade the creator for the creation. Instead of worshiping and serving God, we worship and serve what he's made. Primarily myself. I start out by worshiping and serving myself. If it feels good, I do it. If it feels good, then why shouldn't I? If it feels good, how, who are you to tell me how to live? This is America, land of the free. That's what we do. We worship and serve ourselves. And that involves worshiping and serving creation. We worship and serve sex when we don't put boundaries on sex. We worship and serve money when we don't put boundaries on our greed. We worship and serve ourselves when we don't put boundaries on our pride. We become envious, greedy persons, quarrelsome. We become haters. And so we're worshiping and serving creation rather than the creator. There's no wonder God's angry. And these things that he gave us for our good, we're turning into idols We say it like this, when good things become God things, that's a bad thing. When good things become God things, that's a bad thing. Let me use an example of alcohol. Alcohol, hate to break it to you, was invented by God. It didn't surprise him that men learned how to brew beer. It didn't surprise God that men didn't learn how to turn grapes into wine. God wasn't like, well, I'll turn a blind eye because they can't find clean water. No, God created this for our good. Some of us take a good thing and turn it into a God thing and it becomes a bad thing. If you take a good thing that God created and you can't handle it and you can't drink some of it, you got to drink all of it. And so then you mistreat her. You have an affair. You walk away. You abuse somebody. You kill somebody in a car. You're stumbling over at the fair going, come to the tabernacle. I mean, if you're doing that, a good thing became a God thing and now it's a bad thing and you know what you need to remove yourself from that you can't handle it And we've got great programs to help you with that Now some people can enjoy a good thing without it becoming a God thing. I'm not talking about managing sin though Because some of us we start to rationalize. Well, I need this secret sin I need this little bit of porn because of him or because of her because of i'm all by myself Can I tell you something sex is not a right? Right Sex is not your right before God. It's not. When you start thinking sex is your right, that's the first step in becoming a rapist. Because if it's my right, then I take what I want, when I want. You following the logic? When good things become God things, they become bad things. And it happens when we trade God, we trade the truth for a lie. Here's the second thing that happens. When we consistently trade that truth, and we trade it away, and we say, I don't need you. I'm going to do my thing. I'm a worship servant creation. I'm going to trade God away. God does something, and it's ultimately for our good. God lets go. God lets go. Three times in this passage, it says, God abandoned them. Different translations. Some say, let's go. Some say, gave them over. God gave them over. What that means, this God forsaken, when God lets go, is God says, if that's the way you want to go, if that's what you really want, then I will remove my protection. I will remove my restraining hand. I will take away the boundary. I will take away the hedge that I've put around you. And now you are free to go into the wilderness and see what life is like without God. You see, I don't think we have a clue how much protection God has around each one of us. There's a restraining of evil that God does because as we see here, we're inventing ways of doing evil. All you have to do is watch the news to know that, to see how far and how fast. Why do we get together at the restaurant and go, man, can you believe it in 2015, how bad things are getting? Things are getting terrible. What's going on? It's God is letting go. If this is the direction that you want to go, then here you go. Go see what life is like without my protection, without my restraining hand. God lets go. It's kind of like he's like a dam holding back evil. And when we persist, there's this abandoning. And he says, okay, go and see how far you'll get. It's kind of like we're all a bunch of 4-H pigs. I've never done 4-H. God bless you people that do, right? Right? Some of you that raise a 4-H pig or you had your kids raise a 4-H pig, you know, it comes time for the fair, and you take them to the fair, and what do you do? You wash that pig, shampoo that pig. Do they have hair? I don't know. You do their nails, brush their teeth, make sure they have good breath, right? Shine them up, get the car wax out, make that pig look good. Somehow, I think we believe it makes the bacon taste better, Right? <laughs> But we get that pig all shined up. You could eat off of that pig's back. And then you walk it before the judge, right? And everyone's judging the pig. Well, that one looks a little clean. There's a little mud on that one, you know. And we all get shined up and all cleaned up. What happens when you let that pig go back to the pig pen? What's a pig do? I don't care if it's the first place or the last place. What's he do? Wallows in the mud in the poo. Flies flying in and out of its mouth. It's eating all the garbage. Isn't it amazing what pigs, pigs are amazing creatures. They can eat garbage and make bacon. I mean, they're factories, which is gorgeous. It's wonderful creation of God. I love it. And the Lord said, kill and eat. Amen. All right. But we're like those 4-H pigs. That's what we do. Unrestrained, we wallow in the mud. Unrestrained, we wallow in our own filth. Sexual filth our hatred filth, our greed filth, our lying filth, our thieving filth, our apathetic filth. God lets go. And it says, God lets go and men and women did shameful things, vile things. It's where our foolish thinking takes us. And look at that list. Give it to them, John. Give it to those people with their agenda. Okay? Not just the homosexual offenders, but where does that start? Adultery? Where'd that start? Lust? Where'd that start? Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition? Oh, no, 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 that's okay. Is it? (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes, right? He abandoned them to their foolish thinking. I love that. Wickedness, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, insolent, proud. Kids who disobey their parents. All of them deserve to die, is what he's saying. And it's our foolish thinking. We trade God. God lets go. And then the third part, sin takes over. Sin takes over. And when God lifts his restraining hand and out we go into the wilderness, he's letting sin run its natural course. He's letting us come to the end of ourselves. He's letting us find rock bottom. I'm not sure where it is for some of us. I'm not sure where it is for the United States of America. But when God lets go, sin takes over, and the rot progresses. That's what happens. Anything left to itself is going to rot out in the wilderness, right? You don't take care of a house it's abandoned. You don't, you're not regulating electricity and the heat. You're not taking care of the yard. Do it. It's going to rot, even that nice cabin out there in the middle of the woods. You start a project and don't finish it, put a little tarp over it, whatever. If you don't come back for years and years and years, it's going to rot all the way down to the foundation. can't use it leave a brand new car out in the wilderness, decades. It's not covered, it's not cared for, it's not oiled, it's not driven every once in a while. It's going to rot, that's what sin does. Sin takes over. And it's our sin, it's our choice. It says in the book of James, chapter one, this is how sin progresses. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, watch this, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So sin taking over starts with my desire, and then I act on it, even a little bit of action, and that little bit of action, it gets easier to do next time, then that sin begins to grow, and eventually what does it do? It escalates, it explodes, and it gives birth to death. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin takes us further, keeps us longer, and costs us more. And we've talked a lot about sexual sin. What about murder? Well, I'm no murderer. Well, where does murder? Let's work backwards from murder. Here's a murder. That's a horrible thing. Well, Well, this person had to be really really angry in order to do that? Where did the anger come from? Well, it came from hatred. Where did the hatred come from? Well, it probably came from resentment. Where did the resentment come from? A severe dislike. Where did dislike come from? And so forth and so on. It's, it's a slippery slope is sin. And that's how we get to murder. What about boasting? Have you ever met someone that you know, they're the hero of all their stories. Everything's about them. It's all about their achievement and their kids and they're there there all the time. And you know, mate, I just don't like being around that person. Where does the boasting come from? Work backwards came from pride. Where does the pride come from? Thinking they're better than other people. Where does thinking they're better than other people come from? Well, the fact that everything's about them and they're not grateful for other people and they, and they were never shown that life is not all about them maybe or they never learned that. Where does that come from? Oh, the God-shaped hole in their heart where they're not finding their identity in Christ. They're finding their identity and feeling good about themselves. That's where it comes from. Sin takes over. The rot progresses. And it says... The people that do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. What does that mean? To encourage others to do sin. I was thinking about that between the services today. And You know if you were here last week that I I felt very, very strongly that I was supposed to share what I feel something God has been telling me and that is we as a church are failing our sons. Now I don't want to hurt your feelings but because I love you, I got to be honest. I felt that very clearly two weeks ago. God's speaking, saying men in particular we're failing our sons specifically. Not that we're not failing our daughters or our wives or in some other areas. And I don't want you to feel like, man, I come to the church, they tell me how I'm failing. But this is so critical. It's so strategic. Raising your sons and raising my son to be godly men is so critical because they grow up and they become husbands and fathers. And because of their role in the family and their role in creation, they can become abusers or they can become strong and tender like Jesus. I want my son to be strong and tender like Jesus, not a bully and not weak. He's got to find that balance. He needs a dad who can encourage him this way. And so if I'm a hater, if I'm a backstabber, if I'm greedy, if I'm boastful, if I'm a sexual offender, if I'm all of those things, even just a little bit, he's picking up on that. In that case, he's watching me. I'm like God on earth to him. And if I'm encouraging him by my actions that, you know what? Do what I say, not what I do. Guess what? I'm making him twice the son of hell that I am. Fathers, we got to get after it with our sons. Sin will take us further than we want to go. It'll keep us longer than we want to stay and cost us more than you want to pay. Do you want this to cost you your son or your daughter? Talking to a father last week after the service, he came up to me in tears. He's in his 60s. Been part of this church probably for over 40 years. But one of those families, and there were several in this church, that they were all kind of first generation Christians. They all had sons. They're trying to follow Jesus. They didn't have the opportunities that we have for their sons. They didn't have the conferences and the events and the retreats and the music festivals. They didn't even have a youth group going on, right? All they had was bring them to church and do your best to be a dad. you know what this guy said to me through tears? He said, John, please keep saying what you're saying because every single one of our families... Our sons are wandering in the wilderness right now. That's from him. That's not from me. He said, we're watching all of our sons. We lost our sons, a whole generation of sons of this church. I'm worked up. I'm sorry. And it's not because our daughters aren't important. They're just as important. But when I see men who should know how to share with another man, to coach our kids, to Show them what's best. To not let sin take over. I don't want to lose another generation of sons. I want to take every opportunity with my daughters, with my sons, to say, you know what? We're not going to trade God. I'm not going to let, as long as you're under my house, I'm not going to let go. No, sorry. Well, I can't help it. Yes, I can. I pay the bills, I have the car keys. As far as I can tell in America, I'm still in charge of my kids. At least for now. At least for now. Because when sin takes over, that can be painful, can't it? i got to wrap this up. Here's the deal. There's good news. We said God forsaken. If you're sitting here today and you're feeling beat down, don't. Because there's good news. If you feel forsaken by God, you've been wandering in the wilderness, you've felt that forsakenness of your sin taking over, there's good news. You don't have to stay forsaken and neither do I we don't have to stay forsaken by god the good news is is that on our behalf god forsook jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to be that's great news what am i talking about jesus came to earth to live a perfect life to die on the cross to take all of our sins our hatred our greed our insolence our pride Our sexual sins, our sins of commission, the things that we do, and our sins of omission, the things that we leave out. He took it all and he hung on a cross. And as he hung there, he looked to heaven and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so you and I wouldn't have to be, so that we could have God in our lives. But we have to turn back to the truth. We have to repent of our sin. We have to say, no, this is God's way, not my way. I choose to to serve and worship the creator, not his creation. Every moment of every day. And I'm not going to get it right all the time. But if I'm living this way, I know that God won't abandon me. One chapter later, after the crucifixion, right before Jesus returned to heaven, he said to those who have chosen to worship and serve him, his disciples, he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He said, lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. There's good news. We're all going to struggle with sin. If you're here and you're struggling with sin, you're in the right place. But through Christ, we don't have to experience that abandonment, that forsakenness. We can be forgiven and we can be redeemed. And God can take the mess that we've made and turn it into something beautiful. So here's the choice. Remember that picture? Truth or the lie? The truth or the lie? One of two pills that we can take. What's it going to be? If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've been buying the lie, I encourage you to turn to the truth. If you're here today and you are a Christian, and even though you are a Christian and you've known the truth about God, you've been doing your own thing, you've been trading the truth for a lie for a while, it's time to come back. It's time to repent of sin and say, God, I need you to fix these broken places because I don't want to be abandoned to that wilderness. I don't want to be abandoned to that place where sin takes over and the rot takes over. I don't want to live that way. You know what the good news, the real good news is, is when we do that, the creator of the universe is able to create, to make something beautiful of the dust and ashes that we've caused. He's a redeemer, isn't he? God's a redeeming God. He's a God that puts things back together. It doesn't happen like, you know, snap of the finger, quick prayer, and then there it is. But as we continually turn to God, he'll fill in those places. He'll push back the rot. He'll put up his restraining hand again. And we can live life with the one who makes beautiful things out of the wreckage we've caused. Would you bow your heads with me?